Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. Education. That's the topic this week. You know, we all witnessed how education came to the forefront of the Virginia gubernatorial race between Democrat Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. And ironically, education is the issue that both launched and ended Terry McAuliffe's candidacy. McAuliffe launched his campaign outside of an elementary school in Richmond, Virginia, last December. In September, education voters actually favored him by 33 points. However, that all changed when this happened during one of the debates. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I've stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Ooh. Ooh, so that right there, that's what ended his campaign. So you go from September to November, and there was a 42-point swing on the issue of education for voters that, you know, this was the issue, that was their issue. So they 42-point swing from supporting Terry McAuliffe by 33 points in September to heading into the election, they favored Yunkin by nine points. In politics, my friends, 42 points is insane. But what Yunkin did was he he led a parent's first revolution and he rode that wave to victory. You look at exit polling, almost a quarter of voters said education was the most important issue to them. A majority of those voters picked Glenn Yunkin. Exit polling also found that voters who believe parents should have a lot of say in what their children were being taught overwhelmingly went for Yunkin, 77% to 22%. So what was behind this parents-led revolution? What does it mean for the midterms coming up? And, and what does it mean for public schools? I get into all of it with Ian Pryor, the executive director for Fight for Schools. He is also a former senior official in the Trump Department of Justice. 
He worked for the NRCC, American Crossroads, he did a bunch of stuff in politics. But most importantly, he's a dad. And that's how he got started with a national grassroots movement that was born out of this fight in Loudoun County school boards in Virginia. Uh, we're going to get into some of the politics of the education with him, what happened in Virginia, what it means for the upcoming midterms. I also have a twofer because I have Corey DeAngelis, the national director of research for the American Federation for Children. He is also an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and the executive director of Educational Freedom Institute. I'm going to get his take on school choice, the movement away from government-run schools, and the newest and most powerful special interest group, parents. So I'm really excited about this next guest. Well, one, he's my friend. And then two, it's just been really cool to see him dive in and get involved in this parents first fight, this parents led revolution that's happening in the country on surrounding the issue of education. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Ian Pryor, executive director of Fight for Schools. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me today, Lisa. You know, Ian, it, it's cool because I, I, you know, we know each other from politics, but you got involved in this fight as a parent. What were you observing? Well, you know, it really started, I think, last summer when I, I read a story that Loudoun County Public Schools was using um, resources from teaching tolerance uh, for lesson plans. And teaching tolerance, for people that don't know, is an arm of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which sounds like a nice institution but it's a it's an advocacy group and they are extremely left-leaning and they have their own political agenda so i you know i got immediately concerned with that and you know i asked the principal he said no they're not using it but i decided to attend one of these committee meetings these equity committee meetings that was that was virtual at the time and they kept talking about this group called the equity collaborative who would design their equity plan and so i dug into that report found that it was i mean just they did focus groups with parents. They excluded Asian and Caucasian parents. They had all these, you know, anonymous anecdotes um, and these statistics that weren't really, you know, you could, they didn't really get behind statistics. And they put out this report saying, yes, you guys are, you know, systemically racist. And from there, um, you know, there was an attorney general investigation based on that report. And, you know, Loudoun County said, well, we're going to do all this equity stuff, right? We're going to have an equity office. We're going to have an equity committee. We're going to keep these consultants on for two more years. And I foia the contract, and they ended up paying $500,000 for this group in 2019. So for me, I mean, at first it was just, what are we spending our money on? Um, and, it, you know, what I saw was, was certainly something concerning that they're trying to really use our schools as a social experiment with large amounts of taxpayer dollars. And I ended up, you know, I pitched that story a couple of places just on my own. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting paid for it. And I ended up writing an article in the Federalist detailing everything I, I heard. Um, but then I sort of lost, I lost focus on it. I think after November of last year, and, and I thought that was going to be the end of it. Maybe I'd look at private schools or, you know, kind of grin and bear it and see if I could, you know, inoculate my kids um, from from some of the stuff that you know they were focused on. Um, and then then March happened. You know, but Ian, the left says that you know critical race theory isn't being taught in Virginia public schools. Yeah, well, you know, as I said so many times, of course it's not taught in public schools like chemistry or physics is taught, and meritocracy is also not taught, but it's applied in schools. And critical race theory is something that it, it is a lens through which 
the, the school systems want teachers to teach children, right? A philosophy that America, its institutions, its cultures, its language, um, its school system are all systemically racist, and they need to basically be torn down and built back up in this equitable manner. Well, and it's also, as you mentioned, it's this idea, it's a broader concept that we should be judging each other based off of the color of our skin, or we should be deriving or value good or bad from the color of our skin versus the content of her character. And, you know, I remember listening to, there was a mother out of Loudoun County who said her six-year-old daughter was taught that she was born evil because she was white during a history lesson. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing we saw. You know, I got a slide from a parent of a second grader um, who came home and, and said, hey, you know, mommy, they told me in school that women and minorities will never get credit for their work. And I'm not seeing the slide. I mean, it's, it's there. Um, so this is the kind of thing that, you know, some teachers are utilizing these resources and putting them in classroom materials at a very young age. And look, there's all kinds of conversations that can be had about, you know, complex things. But second grade, third grade, even middle school and some high school is, is not really appropriate. Like, let's let kids get the foundation of understanding of math, science, history, reading and writing. And then when they get older, they can dig into, you know, more complicated subjects and they'll be able to have that foundation and that, you know, moral core where they can make decisions on their own. But when you're trying to do this to children at a young age, they just simply don't have that yet. But it was also parents were seeing sexually explicit content and books being signed as well. So it wasn't just, you know, some of these concerns around critical race theory. I mean, there were also things like, you know, sexually explicit content. You know, talk about some of that and some of the other things parents were observing that sort of led to this uprising out of Loudoun County and in Virginia. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, this this really sort of started with critical race theory. But you, you see that critical race theory is one of the many symptoms of this disease. And the disease is political activism being put into our schools from our school superintendents, from our school boards. And, you know, in Loudoun County, they created this diversity library in 2019. And I mean, every special interest group has books in there for kids of every age. You know, it's you, you've got race cars, right, which is all about cars and uh, white privilege. You've got um, transgender books for kids that are five, six, seven. These are all in the library and accessible by any kid. And so, you know, a lot of times you will read the, the cover of these books or the description of some of these books, which maybe are not as, as blatant at the, as the ones I just described, and you think they're fine. But then, you know, the 14-year-old girl comes home and tells her mom about this book that basically glorifies, you know, rape culture. And you just like, why are we putting that in there? What is the purpose of that? Especially if parents aren't aware. They like to say that, well, parents can opt kids out of these books. Well, if parents don't know and don't read the books themselves, then how are they going to opt anyone out if they don't have that information? So really, I mean, I think what you're seeing is schools are stepping in between parents and their children and trying to tell the parents, hey, we know what's best. You guys stay away. Well, and also an ag- active targeting of parents as well. So talk about there's a Facebook group where school board members were trying to encourage pa- uh, teachers to dox parents who were opposed to critical race theory and who were rising up and concerned about some of the things their parents were being taught. You know, talk about that in the school board also, you know, going to the lengths of targeting parents who were expressing their concerns. Yeah, that's right. And earlier I said, you know, I kind of laid off of, of my investigation until March, until March happened. And that's what happened in March when, you know, there was a, a private Facebook group called the Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County. It had six school board members in it. 
dozens of people in the administration, some teachers that had our Commonwealth attorney in there, um, our Soros-backed Commonwealth attorney, and one of the school board members basically put out a call to action saying, you know, we need to push back on the people that are opposing critical race theory in our community and spreading misinformation in our community. And one of the members in there followed that post up by saying, we need to public, we need to infiltrate their groups. We need to publicly expose them. We need to hack their websites and redirect them to pro-critical race theory websites. And then you had a, a, a third person say, here's how we're going to list them. First name, last name, area of residence, school board rep. And, you know, between 60 and 70 parents were listed for, you know, the gall of going to speak at school board meetings, either for, you know, curriculum issues or to try and get schools reopened. And I found myself on that list for the, the Federalist article that I had written, um, you know, documenting the equity collaborative issue. And a second time I was put on that list for actually attending a school board meeting last October and expressing concerns about First Amendment issues with some of the policies that they were passing. And that really lit a fire in the community. I mean, you had you had a growing open schools organization already at that point in time. And I think it kind of merged people that were concerned with the curriculum with those that wanted schools reopened. Um, and that's when we started our our efforts and launched our PAC fight for schools. And our you know, our first task was to try and remove pursuant to Virginia law, those six school board members on the grounds that they were violating open meetings laws and you know, blatantly violating their own code of conduct. You know, how much because, you know, we saw throughout COVID, uh, obviously, online learning, a lot of the learning, you know, coming home versus kids going off to school. What kind of impact do you think that had on parents just paying more attention to the sort of things that their kids were being taught and being more involved? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think one for the first time. You know, kids being home, parents wondering when are schools going to reopen? And it's the first time they really started paying attention to school policy specific to reopening. But at the same time, you had these parents who are now working from home because they have to take care of their kids and the kids on their Chromebooks. And they're hearing the things that are being taught in school, the way the teacher is teaching certain materials. And next thing you know, I mean, we started getting flooded in our inbox with screenshots and teacher trainings and all these things that were happening online that you really wouldn't have had access to if they were just in print and done at the school. And I would say it's even, it's been tougher this year to get some of those things because you don't have um, the pandemic and kids at home doing remote learning. I mean, we still do get things from teachers, teacher trainings, but you know, there, I think schools are being a lot more careful now after a year of exposure um, because of the parents working side by side with their kids at home. Well, and what's interesting is you look at the Virginia gubernatorial race, and this no doubt in part of your movement and the movement of these parents out of Loudoun County had a big impact on shaping that election. I and mean, we saw the issue of education really shoot to the forefront heading into Election Day as the most important issue on people's minds. And it really went downhill during that uh, debate where Terry McAuliffe said that parents shouldn't have, in essence, that parents shouldn't have a say and what their kids are being taught. But that's really reflective of sort of the Democrat doctrine, isn't it? This idea that it should be the government, it should be public schools, it should be, you know, the teachers in the driver's seat versus the parents or, or us as individuals. I mean, it's sort of the, you know, the Democrat doctrine, more or less, is it not? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, they, you know, it, it's straight out of 1984 uh, or, um uh, marks where it's as soon as you know a kid is able to to leave the care of his his mother, then that that child becomes property of the government. 
And I think you're seeing it with, with some of these schools. And you go back to September and October, and really three things happened that, I, that put education at the forefront. You know, the groundwork had been laid um, by parents over the previous year plus. But first you have McAuliffe um, saying that at the debate, and then you have Attorney General Garland's memo on discussing parents and harassment and intimidation as, you know, potential investigatory subjects. And then finally, out here in Loudoun County, we learned that there was a, a sexual assault in a bathroom that, you know, our superintendent lied about at a school board meeting where the, the dad of the girl was arrested all to pass a political policy that the vast majority of the community did not want passed. Which is disgusting and that, you know, poor dad was sort of painted as a monster originally until people really found out what happened. And, you know, boy, did he have every right to be upset with what happened to his daughter and was just, you know, obviously being a protective father, as most dads would be. Uh, you know, how reflective. So, you know, Fight for Schools was sort of born out of Loudoun County, but it's a national movement, right? Yeah, I mean, it really has become that. It's it's fascinating to me to watch some of the, the after action reports from the, the leftist media sites that you know, portray this as some kind of astroturf movement. I mean, it was fully from the ground up. We just, we had great volunteers, people that were able to, to find the information, people that could communicate that information and people that were willing to go out and do tasks like collect 25,000 signatures on petitions to remove school board members. And, you know, when you're outside of Washington, D.C., in the confluence of a gubernatorial's race and really some serious missteps by the Loudoun County School Board that, you know, made for TV moments. I think we generated not just attention in our own county, certainly attention in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but also nationally. And, you know, I've talked to so many people that, that email us and say, how can we do what you're doing there here? And, you know, you're starting to see it. You're starting to see people get engaged with their school boards and demand accountability and transparency. And so you're on the receiving end of, you know, those emails and those messages and that kind of communication. You know, how reflective do you think your experiences out of Loudoun County are with what's happening in the rest of the country around the rest of the country? Well, I think every every area is going to be a little bit different, but you're still going to see the same, you know, educational education industrial complex really ramming things down school systems throats. And the question is, you know, is, is a school board strong enough uh, to resist that? So. You know, I don't know that every school board in America is as, you know, unsavvy as the Loudoun County School Board and continually steps in it by, you know, putting teachers on administrative leave for exercising their First Amendment rights, you know, starting, um, uh, you know, a Facebook post that, you know, plots against parents. Um, but I think generally the, the symptoms are the same, that there's activism in school boards. Um, these are these are not high turnout races. People don't pay much attention. They don't spend a lot of money to get their message out. So you're really kind of left with these very banal statements from school board candidates that they're going to get more buses or more recess. And so I think one of the best thing that can come out of this is really people engaging in those school board elections and knowing who their candidates are. And I think this this is a, a good moment for our representative democracy because, you know, our school boards really make policies that hit closest to home. They, it's our children. And so having more involvement, paying more attention to the candidates, I think is, is more important than even paying attention to congressional candidates or U.S. Senate candidates. Well, you know, Senator Johnson made that point on my podcast a little while ago of saying that, you know, we always focus all this attention on, you know, federal elections 
when really it's the local. I mean, it's from the bottom up, the ground up. It's school boards, it's state reps. I mean, it, it's it's everything, right? That we should really be fighting a much broader fight than just on the federal level. You know, you talked about you know parents sort of asking, you know, how do we replicate this? What can we do? What advice? would you give them on terms of trying to mobilize within their own community and sort of to, to bring in, uh, to build a, a similar movement? Yeah. So the, the three things I say as, as sort of three legs of a stool are investigate, communicate and activate. And the investigation prong is really using freedom of information act um, to go after materials that, that, you know, may have some concerning things in them talking about social, emotional learning, critical race theory, culturally responsive teaching, um, finding out what's in your school's libraries, uh, communicate. You have to create parents' networks so that information can be shared. Um, learn how to talk to the media, get those media lists, figure out who's paying attention to this stuff and make sure that, that they're getting the information. And then finally, activating. You know, we started a political action committee. Our goal, you know, the, the broad goal for Fight for Schools is to be involved in local school board elections. It just so happens that we don't have school board elections until 2023, which is why we... You know, one of the reasons why we said, well, look, we can't wait, you know, almost three years um, to get this activist school board and this this law breaking school board out of office. We need to utilize the provisions in the law that allow us to to make changes. Not every place is going to have that. I wouldn't suggest, you know, everybody trying to recall their school board everywhere. Um, but I do think that you, you, you have to activate. You have to create groups. Um, you have to share information, go to school board meetings um, and make your voices heard. Well, I always kind of laugh to myself whenever I, I, I saw you out there on this because I was like, they mess with the wrong guy because it's like you have a background, obviously, as a parent who you know loves your kids, but also just have a background in politics and sort of understanding how grassroots movements work, understanding how politics works, understanding how to build something and execute. So I always just sort of like got the biggest kick of seeing you out fighting this fight because I was like, they just messed with the wrong dude. Uh, and a lot of parents out of Loudoun County, you know, who have involvement in sort of politics and sort of understand kind of how all of this works to, to some degree. You know, look, Ian, we both know Democrats have kind of, you know, education has sort of always been an issue of the left to some degree of an issue that they've, you know, you know, Terry McAuliffe launched his campaign. On education and that ironically, you know, lost on the issue of education. Uh, you know, he, he started and ended with it, but, it, you know, it ended badly for him. But how, how do you think, you know, looking bigger picture for Republicans heading into the midterm elections, how do you see the issue of education and parents' rights playing out? Well, I think it's going to continue to percolate. And, you know, one of the things I look at, you look at international numbers, and I mean, we, we are underperforming uh, you know, Finland, China, South Korea, all these different countries that, that seem to have their education system figured out and, and we're, we're below them. So we've got to be more competitive if we're going to play in a global marketplace with, you know, when our children are future leaders. I also think parent choice is, is important. You know, one of the things that I constantly hear about from the, the equity peddlers is that, well, you know, we don't want kids to be limited by their zip code. Well, no kidding. If if they have parent choice and they can send their children to a private school with some kind of voucher or some kind of education savings account, then they're not going to be limited by their zip code and poorly performing schools in their zip code. So this is something that if we really believe that we want to give everybody an opportunity to succeed, we need to stop caving to union pressure and and look at school choice and funding students, not par- um, not schools. Well, and what's interesting is this conversation and the fight over parents' rights puts Democrats in a really tough spot because they almost can't respond because they're so beholden 
to the teachers unions. And so they, they really can't offer parents what they deserve, which is to be in the driver's seats of their kids' education because they're they're beholden to the unions. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one of the things that I've I've had the experience out here is that there are a lot of Democrats that, you know, are on our side on this issue. You know, I'm not talking the Democrat Party, but I'm saying actual Democrats, um, you know, they believe in, in strong worker protections, but they see massive overreach by the teachers union. Uh, and they see that this issue is really something that, that unifies people and, and transcends partisan lines, transcends race, ethnicity, gender, religion. And so, you know, Republicans right now are in the driver's seat with education. And as long as Democrats, you know, continue to bow to Randy Weingarten and, you know, whoever else, I think they're going to be on the losing side of this. Yeah. Any other takeaways from what you saw in I mean, what were you hearing from some of the other parents? Because obviously you're out fighting this fight, trying to collect signatures, you know, out with these folks. You know, what were some of the concerns that they raised to you? You know, what were what were some of the conversations like? It was really a, a, a menu of things. I mean, whether it was the, the private Facebook group or critical race theory or putting Tanner Cross on administrative leave or the transgender bathroom policy or the sexual assault cover-up. I mean, it was all this cornucopia of, you know, abuse by the school board. I think that's the lesson I learned from this. Like Everybody has their own particular issue on why they wanted this school board gone. But at the end of the day, it's really about political activists that refuse to collaborate with their constituents and think that they know best. And, you know, when you send your kids through those two doors every day and you can't trust the superintendent, you can't trust your school board members because they have a different motivation than, you know, actually doing the job they were sent there to do. It's really hard to have tr- any kind of trust in the system, in the community. And I think that's that broken down trust um, is really what galvanized this movement out here. You had mentioned Tanner Cross. What, what's the latest with uh, his case? He obviously stood up for his religion. Yeah, that's right. So Tanner Cross, just for people that that may not know, went to go speak at one of the school board meetings as a private citizen living in Loudoun County. He's a teacher, he's a um, uh, phys ed teacher, but he went to speak out against policy 8040, which among other things would require teachers and students to refer to other children by their preferred pronouns. Um, After he made that, that statement at the school board, he was put on administrative leave he, uh, he sued Loudoun County Public Schools. He won his preliminary injunction at the circuit court level. Loudoun County Public Schools threw more money at it, lit it on fire, went to the Virginia Supreme Court to try and overturn that decision. They lost at the Supreme Court. And now that case has been amended to add two other teachers, and they're challenging the constitutionality of the policy itself. A lot going on. Um, Ian, anything else you want to leave us with before we go? No, you know, I think one of the the, the overarching themes out here is that these parents, you know, want to be heroes for their kids. And and what you saw in the collective was parents rising up and and being heroes for their kids, but also at the individual level. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of folks that have been out here fighting this fight, they've gotten um, mail to their workplace, calling them racist or insurrectionist and, and that they need to be fired. But what I've seen, though, is these parents, they, they take the slings and arrows and they keep coming. And you see a lot of people developing skills that they never thought they would have, you know, going on television, uh, doing interviews, talking to the media. So I, I would encourage people, you know, it's, I've done this for a while so I can go out there and talk on TV and, and, and no problem. 
but it's not hard. And you just kind of have to go out there and do it. And the, the more you see all these everyday parents going out there and talking about their experiences and it's inspiring. And I think that, you know, anyone can really do what we did in Loudoun County if they're organized enough, they're passionate enough, and they work together. Ian, thanks so much for joining the show uh, and good work. It was really cool to see you sort of build this movement and put up a good fight. Well, a great fight because you guys won. The good guy won, Glenn Gelkin. So uh, thanks for the time, Ian. Great to talk to you, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me. Next up is Corey DeAngelis, the National Director of Research for the American Federation for Children. We're going to get into more school choice issues and some of the research that he's been doing over the past couple of years on this issue. Stay tuned. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a Stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. So my next guest for this show is Corey DeAngelis, who's the National Director of Research for the American Federation for Children. Well, he actually has a lot of hats, but, you know, we'll get into them. Well, we got into them earlier in the show. But, Corey, how did it feel? So you recently got name checked by Randy Weingarten, who's the president of the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, You know, she's been at the forefront of keeping kids at home fighting, you know, kids from being able to go back to school. How, you know, what were your thoughts on that? How did that feel to get name checked by her? Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, and she had a, a, a great quote in there where she said, check out Corey DeAngelis Twitter. She was saying something negative about me. But if you pull out that quote, it, it sounds pretty good. And I hope she would broadcast that to more people. I, you know, she has a pretty good amount of followers. So it would be great for more people to follow me on Twitter at DeAngelis Corey. But, you know, within that whole exchange with the parent that she was sending messages to, she was, you know, it was funny on that part, but the, the the real thing that I was trying to highlight by sharing that message is that she was essentially throwing the local unions under the bus, pretty much trying to say that it wasn't her keeping the schools closed. It was just the local unions where it was tough to work with them. And that's why the schools were, were closed for so long. 
And the other layer of that is that she specifically called out the NEA, the National Education Association, local unions, which is not her union. She is the uh, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT. So essentially, um I'm sure the NEA president, Becky Pringle, isn't very happy about her, uh, Randy Weingarten, essentially trying to argue that it was the NEA's fault, not the AFT. Um, that, I mean, it's just obvious, though, that for anyone watching on the sidelines, that it was both of the major unions' fault and other local unions as well that fought every step of the way against returning to in-person instruction. You have the emails that were leaked between the AFT influencing the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen the schools uh, on at least a couple of occasions. And the the NEA also had emails uh, influencing the school reopening guidance to make it harder to reopen the schools. So, I mean, it was their fault. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, she she had the role in shaping school closure policy. So for her to try to shift blame is just, you know, blasphemous. Well, yeah, and, and her uh, public uh, appearances on the news and just every day on social media, on Twitter, just the constant stream of fear mongering around reopening the schools and support of teachers protesting and striking over going back to work in person. We saw all of that over the past year and a half, and she's not going to be able to gaslight parents going forward uh, when it comes to the school reopening debate or when it comes to the curriculum that that was revealed in the schools over over remote learning as well. Uh, Families aren't stupid. They understand what happened over the past year and a half. And you know what? The more and more that the teachers unions try to continue to gaslight parents, the the, the, the worse it's going to be for them going forward because parents are more mobilized than they ever have been before. The teachers unions essentially have overplayed their hand and awakened a sleeping giant. And that is parents who want more of a say in their kids' education. And they're going to fight like we've never seen before for the right to educate their kids as they see fit. Because they're never going to forget what happened over the past year and a half. They felt powerless, and they don't want to feel like that ever again. So they're going to continue to fight to make sure that never does happen again. Well, and it feels like there's been this cultural awakening happening in the country. I mean, we've we've seen over the past couple of years how this woke left-wing ideology has consumed corporations, the media, politics. We've seen the heavy hand of government with COVID closures. But once it reached the kids and once parents started seeing some of this stuff percolate and what their children were being taught, it was like they, they're like, we've had enough. Right. Like, we'll, we'll take this other stuff, but not with our kids. And now parents have really become, you know, this most probably the most powerful special interest group in the country. You know, what do you think that means moving forward? Yeah, I mean, for a long time, uh, there's pretty much been one big player, one big special interest group when it comes to K-12 education. That has been the teachers unions and the superintendents and administrators associations, essentially. But now there's a new special interest group in town and Democratic politicians and the teachers unions have to reconcile with that and deal with that going forward. Because, again, the parents are not just going to sit down and shut up no matter how many times the Department of Justice investigates them. And no matter how many times the National School Board Association tries to silence them and bully them into submission by essentially labeling some of them as 
quote unquote, domestic terrorists. That's only going to make parents fight harder than ever going forward. And I see a real opportunity, particularly for Republicans going forward. We saw the victory in in Virginia and how that worked out with Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, essentially saying, quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. That really backfired in him. And he continued to double and triple and quadruple down on that anti-parent rhetoric. And it didn't work for him. A state that went 10 percentage points to Biden swung 12 percentage points the other way with Yunkin coming out victorious by two percentage points. And he has thousands and thousands of parents who want more of a say in their kids' educations to thank. And I think Terry McAuliffe almost had to triple down on this for one for a couple of reasons. But one of the main reasons is that there's this weird power dynamic at play where Democrats have historically relied on the support of the teachers unions when it comes to education. And they've been able to get away with it for a long time. But this year, uh, it really backfired on them because parents are paying more attention than ever. But going forward, if a Republican just can just get a, a, a Democrat to take a stance one way or the other on parental rights, the Democrats currently have themselves backed into a lose-lose or a, a catch-22 situation where if they come out in favor of parental rights, well, then the teachers unions, one of their biggest donors, are going to come after them. But if they come out against parental rights now, as we've seen with Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, well, parents, this new special interest in town is going to hold them accountable for that. And so uh, if a Republican can lean into education, they're likely to see political victories going forward, as we've seen in Virginia. That was essentially the test case. Uh, well, that's not even true. In 2018, there was Governor DeSantis owed his victory to, quote unquote, school choice moms because his opponent, Andrew Gillum, came out against the tax credit scholarship program. And there were hundreds, over 100,000 students using tax credit scholarships in Florida at the time to attend private schools. And the, the, the families, the low income families that wanted to keep that program for their kid, essentially they became a new special interest group in Florida in particular because they made education and their kids' right to attend a private school a voting priority, which some may argue and has been argued in the Wall Street Journal in 2018 that school choice moms tipped the governor's race in Florida in favor of DeSantis. And I think we're play seeing that play out in Virginia, and more and more Republicans are seeing that it can be a campaign winner going forward. Well, and, and you're looking at research with school choice and a variety of other issues. You know, why school choice? Oh, school choice is it's it's a great policy that if you don't if you it, 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 it addresses the main problem with K to twelve education in America, which happens to be this massive long-existing power imbalance between the public school teachers union monopoly and individual families. The money goes directly to a building, regardless of the choice of the family, regardless of the satisfaction of the family, regardless of how well the students' needs are being met. And what we've seen over the past year and a half, the money goes directly to a building, regardless of whether they even open their doors for business. And that problem has been amplified and put into the national spotlight more than ever this past year and a half where the education funding is supposed to be meant for the kids but instead of following the kids it goes straight to a building regardless whether it's even open or not and what's interesting to me is that a lot of the same people that support just about every other taxpayer funded initiative that that goes to 
individuals as opposed to institutions, they get all up in arms about it only when it comes to K-12 education. And just think about it. With higher education, we have Pell Grants where the money goes to the student and they can choose the community college that they like, but they could also take Pell Grant funding to a private religious or non-religious university. We do the same thing and, and fund people as opposed to buildings with with uh, pre-K programs as well, including the federal Head Start program. The money follows the decision of the family. They could take their kids at pre-K education dollars to a public provider or a private religious or non-religious provider of pre-K services. We do the same thing with food stamps. We don't tell low-income families that they must take their taxpayer-funded food stamps to a residentially assigned government-run grocery store, and most people would understand that that would be absolutely ridiculous. Instead, the money goes rightfully to the families, and they could choose Walmart if they want, but they can also go to Trader Joe's, Safeway, Harris Teeter. The money follows the decision of the family. We do the same thing with Medicaid dollars that can be used at private religious hospitals if you want. Same thing with Section 8 housing vouchers. The, the funding follows the decision of the person and, or the family. And so the same people that support all of these other initiatives that fund individuals directly as opposed to buildings, they only get all up in arms when it comes to the in-between years of K-12 education. And the reality is that the only difference there and, and the only way to bridge the apparent logical inconsistency is to understand that there's a difference of, in power dynamics, that choice is the norm with higher education, pre-K, and just about everything else in the United States and every other industry. But choice threatens an entrenched special interest that profits from that would otherwise profit from getting children's education dollars regardless of that, of, of the, the satisfaction levels of the families. So they fight really hard. The teachers unions fight really hard against any change to the status quo. But luckily, there's a new, a new special interest in town, parents, and they're going to fight harder for the right to educate their kids as they see fit, harder than anybody else is going to fight to take that right away from them. So I'm optimistic going forward especially with what we're seeing on the school choice landscape in 2021. We're declaring this officially. And let's talk about that, because we've seen polling shift dramatically throughout COVID in the direction of, I mean, it's always been popular, but the support has just increased substantially. Talk about some of the shifts you've seen in, in polling in support of school choice. Yeah, the latest Real Clear Opinion Research polling has found a 10 percentage point surge in support for school choice policies, or what I would call funding students as opposed to systems, with 64% of Americans supporting school choice in April of 2020 to 74% support of school choice uh, among Americans in the general public in June of 2021. That's a 10 percentage point surge. And some of the biggest jumps in support have been among families who have kids in the public school system. Families who otherwise thought that they had their kids in a great environment, maybe they started to understand that even if their school is a quote-unquote A-rated school based on math and reading test scores, it might not align with their values. And then also, even if they like their public school for now, they may not want to feel powerless ever again and may just want to have an exit option just in case. And the best exit option is to have the money follow the child to wherever they're getting an education because you can still take that Taxpayer funding in the United States, we spend about fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars per child per year in the government school system. You can still have that option on the table with school choice policies. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. But but for real this time, we actually mean it when we say it, as opposed to something that was said about keeping your doctors uh, a few years back. But 
look, there's also been another poll by Morning Consult finding that the latest survey find, finding that nationwide about 78% of Americans support the concept of funding students directly through something called an education savings account, which I would argue is the gold standard of school choice going forward, where the money could follow the child to wherever they're getting an education. Could be the public school, could be a private school, but could also be any other approved education provider, including private tutors, micro schools, pandemic pods that we've seen sprout up over the past year and a half could use the, the, the funding for special needs, educational services and therapies, any approved education provider. And so it really takes us from the conversation of school choice to education choice and provides the ultimate flexibility on the, on the part of parents. So, I'm, again, I'm really optimistic going forward, especially since we're not just seeing this in the polls. We're seeing this with elections in Virginia, but then we're also seeing this with real programs giving families more options on the ground in states across the country. And in 2021, we're deeming, we're dubbing this the year of school choice, or if you're really hip with the lingo by now, 2021 is the year that we fund students, not systems, because 18 states in 2021 expanded or enacted programs to fund students directly as opposed to failing closed government school buildings. And if you compare that to the, the previous legislative session, I can only recall one state, Utah, that had a new private school choice initiative. They, they launched a tax credit scholarship program. So we've gone from essentially a stalemate with, with school choice in the previous session to uh, school choice going gangbusters in 2021. And I think it's part of the re- part of the reason for this is because parents have emerged as this new special interest group and they've woken up like they've never had before and they're pushing for freedom in their kids' education. And that has me optimistic for, for families and educational freedom going forward. We all, I mean, we also have an education freedom pledge where over 200 lawmakers since last week, since the Virginia election, have signed a pledge to support parental rights and education. Yeah, and what is that pledge? It's, a, it's the Ed Freedom Pledge. You can go to edfreedompledge.com or if you want to write the whole thing out, it's educationfreedompledge.com. But over 200 lawmakers from over 25 states have already signed on to support policies like school choice policies and then also for the right for parents to show up at their school board meetings and to voice their opinions in a peaceful way. And over 1,500 voters in, in the past week have already signed the pledge to support candidates that support educational freedom. And we've also seen, I mean, there's been a huge shift of parents voting with their feet, essentially, and taking their kids out of government-run schools. What has that looked like? What does that shift look like? Yeah, there's been a mass exodus from the government school system like we've never seen before, or at least in modern history. With the latest data that I've seen nationwide, at least 1.5 million students have left the government-run school system. And they've been voting with their feet towards homeschooling and to charter schools in, in large numbers, again, like we've never seen before, with the latest U.S. Census Bureau's American Pulse Survey suggesting that the formal homeschooling population, not government schooling at home or private schooling at home, but actually pulling your kids out of the system, public or private, and homeschooling them formally has tripled since pre-pandemic levels, with now over 11% of households reporting that they're homeschooling at least one kid. And if you look at charter schools, the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools put out a report from using data from, I believe, 42 different states, finding that 
Although government schools lost about 1.5 million students over the past year in those 42 states, that the charter schools have increased their enrollment by over 300,000 students, which turns out to be about a 7% increase in student enrollment when it comes to charter schools. And on the flip side, the government-run schools have lost about 3% of their enrollments over the past uh, year since pre-pandemic levels. Well, and we've seen, you know, a lot of kids across the country, you know, how to stay home. They're doing online learning. Uh, that also disproportionately impacts lower income kids who don't have the same level of tools that some of the you know, wealthier children have. What do you think big picture the overall impact of those school closures will have for the years to come uh, with education? Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot there are going to be some families that put their kids back in the public school system. But there's also a lot of families that because they got a taste of home based education, a lot of people that were never going to do it started to figure out that, well, maybe it's not so bad and maybe there's a lot of benefits in terms of getting more done in a, in a, in a less amount of time. And maybe this, the parents have uh, found new, new confidence in their abilities to home educate their children. So there's going to be a lot of them that, that keep doing uh, what they're doing currently with their kids, but it's, it's hard to really tell how long it's going to last. But a lot of people thought that parents were already going to send their kids back to the public schools, and we're seeing that it hasn't happened yet. And the longer that this that 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 parents continue to privately educate their kids, the longer it's likely to last in the long term. And just imagine if we had more educational choice programs where the money followed the kids. We're looking at this happening in real time in a play in, in a country where we don't have expansive educational freedom at the moment, even though we've made a lot of headway in the in the past year and a half. Just imagine if the fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars followed the child to wherever they're getting an education, you'd see an even bigger exodus from the government run school system. And the reality is the most advantaged families over the past year and a half were at least more likely to be able to cover the cost of micro schools and pandemic pods, paying for private tutors. They were more likely at least to be able to pay for private school tuition and fees out of pocket. And the least likely had to had to essentially get what the government was giving them, which wasn't really great in a lot of cases. And so in that sense, funding students directly and empowering families is an equalizer. It allows more families to access these kinds of educational alternatives. So school choice is an equalizer. And this is a great argument for why we should allow the funding to follow their, every child to wherever education provider works best for them. And uh, look, if you look at polling on this subject, it's been done consistently. And although about, and these are pre-pandemic numbers, although about 83% of students were in, in, in government-run schools pre-pandemic, if you ask parents where they'd like to send their kids if money weren't an issue, well, only that number drops to about only 30% of parents would prefer a government-run school uh, and look, a lot of families like their their government run school that they're residentially assigned to, and that's fine. They should still be able to have that opportunity on the table. But those numbers suggest that large swaths of the population, particularly the the least advantaged in society, are not happy with the residentially assigned public school and how it's working for their kids. So if we allow the money to follow the child, we we would provide more equity in society while providing more competition and freedom at the same time. Well, and that's what I never understood because I interviewed uh, the former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, on the show, and I never understood the attacks she got because, look, she's loaded, right? So she she was able to send her kids wherever she wants. So she's not fighting 
for you know people that have that kind of she's fighting for people that don't have the same opportunity to the same resources to send their kids to better school so I, I never really understood why she was attacked so you know it, it just never really made sense to me because that's the whole point with school choice really is that your zip code shouldn't determine the outcome your zip code shouldn't determine the kind of education you you get and education is the great you know lifter of all things right like if you get a good education you can go on and do different things that you might not have the same level of opportunities if you know you're you're, you're not getting that same level of education so as you mentioned before it really is this great equalizer of freedom where you know your zip code doesn't determine the outcome of a child's future yeah, I mean, the unions were shaking in their boots with Betsy DeVos in office. That's that's the reason why she got so much pushback. It's because the unions did not saw her as a threat to their monopoly that they have right now. And look, we already seen this exodus coming from in the public school system without massive school choice in place. Just imagine how many more students they would lose in funding associated with those students. That's why the union freaked out. And acts like the sky is falling when there's any suggestion that we should empower parents and have the money follow the child to wherever their kids are getting an education because they know that a lot of families aren't happy with their with, with what they're getting. And so they fight really hard to to trap the least advantaged kids in their schools uh, where, where that, that are failing those kids. And, and that's that's a huge injustice in the current government run school system. And look, this kind of came out with Terry McAuliffe, too, in the the Virginia gubernatorial race on one of his last mainstream media um, performances on on Meet the Press. uh, They were talking about education and Terry McAuliffe essentially tried to imply that he sent his kids to public schools in Virginia. He was saying something along the lines of, you know, Virginia public school system is great. And then in the very next statement, he said, Dorothy and I raised our kids in Virginia essentially trying to imply that he sent his kids to the public school system in Virginia. But he sent all his kids to private school. He exclusively attended private school from K through 12 and in higher education. And people that are fighting for educational freedom just want more families to have those same kinds of opportunities. It's great that Terry McAuliffe had had yeah, same. We see it over and over and over again. Yeah, I was going to say, how many of these guys have that story where they, they prevent children that don't have the same resources from getting a better a better education but they sure send their kids to private schools i mean there's like a long list of these guys i mean it's the hypocrisy is endless and that's another reason why school choice and and parental rights is especially uh advantageous politically for republicans at the moment because it exposes multiple layers of hypocrisy one of the layers being that their opponents usually send their kids to private schools and the other you know, layer of hypocrisy is that a lot of the Democrats in office support funding people when it comes to higher education and pre-K as opposed to the money going directly to the buildings. But then they oppose it for the in-between years of K-12 education. They also support funding people when it comes to food stamps or housing, uh, Medicaid dollars, everything else. Uh, and so it raises the question, well, why would you be against it when it comes to the in-between years of K-12 education? And as I mentioned earlier, the only reason for that is because the unions are fighting as hard as possible and they disproportionately donate to Democratic political candidates and they fight as hard as possible to cement the status quo and to protect their monopoly. And that's a problem. But more and more people are waking up to that problem. And I think uh, the, the whole power dynamic in politics is going to shift going forward where people, politicians of all stripes 
are going to have to consider the needs of parents more than they ever have before. And they're, they're going to have to do more than just simply listen to the wills and the desires of the teachers you need. Well, Corey DeAngelis, I, I hope this momentum continues that we saw from Virginia. I, I appreciate the work you do, and I, I fully believe in school choice and giving parents the opportunity to send their kids to and get them a better education. So thanks so much for, for joining the show. I appreciate your time and your work. Yeah, thank you so much, Lisa. I want to thank Ian Pryor and Corey DeAngelis again for great interviews. And I want to thank you guys at home for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. I love reading them. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Lisa Marie Booth. Special thanks to our team, producer John Cassio, researcher and writer Aaron Kliegman, executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network and team. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes, Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.